What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. Thank you for joining me for episode 180 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Ashley Campo from Rock Your Airbnb. Really cool lady doing some really cool stuff down in Tulum. She and her husband left San Francisco for a cool new life in Mexico, gave up the nine to five, got to Mexico, decided they want to try to do the whole online game, make money online, location independent, just like me. Um, and she's had a rough go at it, just like I did. But then all of a sudden she realized she actually had something already making decent money, which is her Airbnb and the Airbnbs that she was managing for other people. And she realized she could take her knowledge and help other people who weren't making that much money with their Airbnb and start showing them the tricks of the trade and the ways that she's really turned her property management business into a very successful way of making some passive income. Now her and her husband just travel. They're able to manage everything from abroad and she helps other people to do the same. So if you have an Airbnb and you're not quite seeing the income you want for it, you should definitely check her out at rockyourairbnb.com. Ashley Campo, she's a badass, cool lady. And again, just living that location independent lifestyle that is so appealing to so many of us. If you're a first time listener, please hit that subscribe button. Whatever you're listening to this on, you know, pull out that phone, hit subscribe. That really helps me in the ratings of iTunes and just helps people in general find me a lot easier. If you haven't yet gotten a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt yet, please head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick one up. And with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Ashley Campo from Rock Your Airbnb. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Ashley Campo from Rock Your Airbnb. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm it's a stoked pleasure. to be here. Yeah, I was really Thank happy you. to receive such a nice email from you. Very complimentary Aww. about Misfits and Rejects. So all you listeners out there, we have a fan and a guest who is doing right? some really cool stuff in Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. I... Oh my gosh, I was stoked when I found your podcast and I just love what you're up to. And I love just kind of, I don't know, this whole concept of misfits and rejects that just really like hit home for me, I guess. I don't know. So I love this. I'm so excited. I was excited to see you write me back so quick and I'm excited to be here and talk chatting. Yeah, well, thank you. I think there's a lot of crossover in our ethos and thoughts about, you know, life in the States and, you know, trying to make a life for ourselves abroad. Um, so why don't we start kind of with that, a little bit about your history um, and maybe the motivation, you know, that, that trigger point that made you decide, you and your husband decide to move to Mexico? Yeah, so I think our story is probably fairly similar to a lot of people's that start kind of wondering about maybe if there's more to, more out there than just kind of living the nine to five dream in the States. And we were at the time, it was about four or five years ago, we were living in San Francisco and San Francisco is an absolute dream of a city. We love it. Um, but it is 
really a hard city to actually sustain life in <laughs> and 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 live. It's an amazing place to visit. But once you actually move there and you're living there, it's a, it's just a tough place because, you know, we moved there. We were all excited. We moved there for a job of mine, actually. And, you know, we love the city and we get there and we're, we've got our big fancy corporate jobs and we're just climbing the corporate ladder and everything's going great and we're making big bucks and, and we're spending really big bucks on rent <laughs> and transportation and all of those things that go into living in San Francisco. And so we did that for about a year and a half. I think we ended up being in San Francisco for about two years. And we just started to kind of look at one another and be like, there's got to be kind of more to life than just working, paying bills, working, paying bills, working, paying bills, like just this hamster wheel of, and we looked at the people that we admired within each of our companies. And we looked at like our bosses and our bosses' bosses and kind of where our potential trajectory was headed. We looked at them and we were like, I don't really want to be you. I mean, it's cool that you've got this big shot job and you make a bunch of money and all these things, but I don't really, you, your life does not look like something that I want to be living. <laughs> and so at that same time, we had been visiting a lovely little town in Mexico called Tulum for years and years. And we just, we just always ended up in Tulum. We were there at least probably once or twice a year. And finally, at some point, I just looked at my husband and I was like, let's get out of here. Let's let, we've always said that someday we would move to Tulum. Someday we'd move to Mexico, but someday was like, you know, 40 years down the road or something. And someday kind of turned into from 40 years to 10 years. And, and then we took another trip. And on that trip, we were like, okay, five-year plan. Let's figure out how to do it in five years. And then we took another trip and we were like, what the hell? Like, we, what are we doing? Like, let's, let's just do it. I mean, there's never going to be a perfect time. There's never, it's not going to be like fall into our laps. We have, if we want to do this, we have to make it happen. And so we did. <laughs> and we quit our jobs. We gave up our apartment and we, we moved to Tulum. We bought a place and, and we moved. <laughs> Just, That's incredible. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool. No, sorry to interrupt because I, my brain's swirling with excitement over this and I want to dive deep so the audience can really understand the process of how this all works. So you were doing what kind of job in San Francisco? So I was an insurance broker for big tech firms. So I was like truly that corporate, you know, I was in sales talking to the big dogs of all these fancy, big, funky companies. And, and my husband was a project, not project, I'm getting it wrong, I'm butchering it, property manager within the federal government. So he was managing big construction projects within San Francisco on all their like old historical buildings and Anyway, stuff like that. So we were doing stuff that is just so, 
so different from where we have now ended up. It's wild, but why Tulum? What what was the draw for there? Are you divers? I mean, are there caves there? Like, what's the draw? You know, we probably, in hindsight, we probably just jumped to the place we had been going most. We're not divers. We had discovered. Well, Frank, my husband, discovered Tulum like. 15 years ago, something like that. And when it was still like a, essentially like a little fishing village, there wasn't a lot going on in Tulum. He was at the time working in Cancun and all the locals would tell him like, you want to get out of the craziness and madness of Cancun, you should go check out Tulum. And so he would go down and he'd like rent a cabana on the beach for, you know, 10 bucks a night or whatever. And it was super chill. So when we first started dating, he was like, Ash, we've got to go to Mexico. Like I have this place and it's off the beaten path and it's just magical. And, and it was really funny at the time. Cause he's like, there's no AC and there's no Wi-Fi and there's no nothing. And I was like, you're really selling this buddy. Like <laughs> it's not doing it for me. And admittedly, I will admit it now. And like, now that I'm, you know, have been living in Mexico for years, I, I would straight up say to him, Frank, I, I'm a little white girl. Like I have no business hanging out off of the beaten path in Mexico. I was like, what are you trying to do? Get me killed? Which is in hindsight, totally ridiculous. But to be, you know, full and open and honest, I'm a little embarrassed to admit I felt that way, but I was scared to go to Mexico. And just so everybody knows, or like, just so things make a little more sense. My husband is bilingual. He speaks Spanish and he is actually, he's Colombian. So he, you know, he's brown. He fits in a little bit better. He can speak the language. And when we were first thinking about taking that trip down, I was like the opposite. And so (laughs) I was, yeah, I was nervous. But then we got there. I finally like caved on this whole Tulum idea. We went down it was beautiful. I fell in love with it too. And, and that was like all history, but, but admittedly I was one of those people that was scared to go to Mexico many, many years ago. That's fair. I think a lot of the audience and just people in general in the States have a similar fear based on the media. Um, narcos, for example, Mm -hmm. um, was that the fear that was kind of instilled in you, the seed that was planted early on? Like if I go, I'm going to get killed by, banditos and all this like chaos that is across the border in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I don't know. I mean, I guess I thought I was going to get kidnapped or I don't even saying it now. I feel silly, but I really, yeah, I guess I thought I could get kidnapped. I thought I could get harmed. I thought I would be a target. No, this is great. This is great. Just a little, I'd like to go a little deeper. And so can you explain to the audience then once you arrived, what, started to change in you? Cause I would imagine that feeling didn't just go away the second you landed. Like you might've maybe yeah. been a little bit insecure at first and it took maybe a month or two or longer to kind of settle in and realize like, wait, this country's full of nice people who aren't here to harm me at all. <laughs> and right. Sure. There's right. pockets of maybe dangerous places that you try to avoid at night, you know, like dark alleys buying cocaine, mm-hmm. but like, right. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and, and what, how long it took for you to kind of adjust and feel comfortable? Yeah. I mean, I think 
right away on like when we were first just visiting Mexico and just visiting Tulum right away, I felt better. And I kind of realized like, okay, here, I don't feel like, maybe I think that people are looking at me a little and that's probably all in my head, but I felt cautious, but comfortable. And and then the more time I spent, like every time that we went down to Tulum, because again, before we moved, we went to visit a lot. And the more I would go, the more I would just start to understand the culture and the people more and things that at first may have seemed scary to me. Once I understood them, they weren't so scary anymore. So like I can think of, for me, you know, walking down a, you know, a, a, a street in Mexico, just kind of a, you know, like a normal street within the Pueblo that maybe has some older rundown buildings, or there's like, you know, a little fruit and veggie stand outside, or there's people, you know, in a rocking chair out front or any of those things that, and it looks just kind of run down and it just doesn't look great from the outside. And from, you know, for most of us, you know, Westerners, Americans, Canadians, um, that at first felt, felt scary, but the more time I was able to spend in Mexico and get to know the people and understand the area, I just realized like, you know, that's just somebody's porch. And when I'm at home, I sit out on my porch and these people just have so much less than I do or, you know, many people do that this is this is just their normal. It doesn't make them mean scary people. It doesn't mean that they're a threat to me. This is just the way they live. And then the more I met the actual people and realized how freaking wonderful and kind they were. <laughs> to this little gringa, you know, that had no business being there. You just, it all sort of starts to melt away. Like you just kind of lose all of that worry or concern. Just the more you get to know the place you're at. And, and I'm certainly, I mean, heavens, I moved from Mex from San Francisco to Mexico. So my joke is always, I feel safer here than I did on my best day in San Francisco. <laughs> but I also, I was a cautious and a careful person when I lived in the States and when I lived in San Francisco. And I still am a cautious, careful person. I pay attention to who's around me or behind me. I, you know, I pay attention to where my purse is when we're out and about. Just different, like, little things. Like you said, I don't walk down dark, scary alleys, regardless of where I am in the world. And just with time and understanding and more experiences, that all sort of started to shit. Like, my reality and my focus sort of shifted with time. Yeah, no, well said. And I was my, my next question naturally would have been like that contrast you made so eloquently about how you feel now in the States because, you know, hanging out in, you know, market, the mark is a market street uh -huh. in area yeah. in uh, like yeah. the tenderloin of San Francisco. Yep. Like that's hardcore, dude. Like there's a lot of drug yeah. dope fiends and like, it's uh, a place that I watch my back as well. 
you know? And Yeah, it's a, it's a scary place. And so I have this really random history with San Francisco that we've lived there for just shy of two years. And in those two years, I had mentally um, challenged people or people that were on drugs or there was there was something wrong with these people, which is a common thing. I don't want to say something's wrong with these people. That sounds horrible, but they weren't all well. Um, two separate occasions when I was walking home from work, like I would take the BART bus from the financial district over to actually right where you're talking about. We lived on Market Street and, and I would get off the BART and walk like two blocks home two separate occasions, I had people come up to me in rush hour, people everywhere, and scream at the top of their lungs, specifically to me that they were going to chop my head off with a machete. That is a very specific threat to have happen anywhere, anytime, anyhow, one. And then to have this have it happen twice is so weird. But that I had all that happening, living in San Francisco, and in Mexico. I mean, nobody cares what I'm doing or that no, I'm walking no. around or it's like nothing. <laughs> no one's threatening you with a machete in a place that yeah. you actually use machetes on a daily. <laughs> exactly. Like machetes are super common here. And so far I feel much more comfortable with them here. <laughs> it's so funny. I had the same experience uh, walking down market street where a guy was walking at me with a like cane that had a very yeah. pointed tip on it. And he point, he was uh -huh. like, he's still like 30 yards away. And he's pointing at me. He's like, you killed Jeff, you killed Jeff. And he starts like going faster and faster. And he takes the cane and now we're like 20 feet away. And he takes it and he oh, breaks gosh. it across a, uh, a sign <clears throat> and he starts running at me. And I had a girl with me and we just bolted, dude. It was so yeah. scary, <laughs> but he was high. It's and he super was scary. Yeah. That's the thing is they're like, they're not wet. Like, they're not well in the head a lot. There's a, so much drug use there and mental health issues. And it's, it's really sad, but it's also scary. Like it's not safe. <laughs> right. And yeah, just, we use our head as we do anywhere in the world. And that's what exactly. helps keep us safe and sure accidents happen and you can get unlucky, but you know, it's just because of these, you know, Netflix series and the media uh -huh. that people are just so irrationally afraid of such a beautiful country like Mexico and the people who are just like you said, so kind and open and willing to help. And like, it's just, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, cr it's just, it's wild. Like sometimes you just almost like shake your head, like what you shouldn't be so nice to me. I just like, don't even feel worthy. <laughs> like it's just, people are so, so sweet. And that's, that's a fun part about being here is getting to be part of that world and part of that culture more and more and more. It's cool. Absolutely. Love it. When you guys decided to cut the cord, um, can you talk to me a little bit about the process of you guys, you bought a house in max, you got rid of your apartment. I'm assuming you had some savings. Did you have a plan? Like, did you have a sort of, okay, we're oh going to six months. And then if we can't make it work, we're just going to go back to our old jobs. Can you talk us through that process? So I don't know if we really had a great plan <laughs> in hindsight. I thought I had it all figured out. And I will admit that I was the one that convinced my husband that we should do all of these things. So we always joke that he can blame all of this on me. Um, but we sort of, we did a lot of thinking and we were super analytical, super careful people. 
doing like quitting our jobs. I mean, our careers and moving to another country is just not anything. I think anyone close to us saw us doing. And so, and that process was super stressful for us. And so when I came up with this idea, I was like, well, I'm going to have to really sell it to Frank. Like I've got to be ready. So I started to talk to him and I was like, look, here's the deal. This is what I think we should do. I think we should go, we should buy a house. And by having a house there, we can always rent it out if it doesn't go well. Like if we get down there and we hate it and we're just like, what were we thinking? This is the worst idea ever. Like Ashley, you're ruining our lives. We, we still have a place in a place in Mexico that we like to visit. We like to vacation. It's an asset. We could rent it out. And we finally came down to our worst case scenario was our current situation at the time. Like, if all else fails, we go down to Mexico for six months or a year and we hate it, then we leave, we come back to the States, we get similar jobs to what we, you know, we're doing that. I mean, we, we really probably just would have walked right back to, if it weren't the same companies, I mean, we would have just j- jumped right back into our own life, really. So that helped me sell it to him just to be like, dude, your current scenario is your worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I mean, if something goes wrong, we just come back and we pick up where where we started. But if it goes right, then you're welcome. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I will say one thing that I underestimated was we were moving to one of the most expensive places in Mexico. And I absolutely underestimated our cost of living. So talk about that. Yeah. How much? I mean, I know, right? Not enough. (laughs) What, like 20, 30 grand less, more? We had probably saved like, yeah, probably 20 or 30 grand. But we also then had, house to furnish and like we were starting online businesses and yeah just I mean even just the move itself and furnishing a new home and all that stuff like that eats away at your savings pretty dang quick and and yeah we did not factor in I mean we just didn't even I mean we were moving from San Francisco like I mean that's an expensive place to live So we just figured, like, we're moving to Mexico. Cost of living will be fine, you know, nothing compared to San Francisco. But it was more expensive than we thought it was going to be. So we had had to hustle a little bit more. And then what was cool was opportunities just sort of started to arise. So when we left San Francisco, we we were kind of starting to dip our toes into this whole like online business entrepreneurial world. But we are up until that moment, we were not entrepreneurs. We knew nothing about that game. We knew nothing about websites and emails and podcasts and all this. We did. We knew nothing because we were corporate. We were career people like corporate people. So we really had to give ourselves a crash course on 
how you do this and how you, you know, build a business online and build a brand and all the things. And so my husband has this wonderful, super cool business that he runs 100% remote and that worked out for him right away. He's a, he's a running and a triathlon coach, but he does everything online. He doesn't have any actual in-person athletes. Which plug is, it, plug it, plug it. What's it called? I know, right? It's called Prana Endurance Training. Huge shout out to Coach Frank, who's in the other room right now. He's, I wonder if he can hear me. But, <laughs> but yeah, so Frank coaches runners, mostly some triathletes, through his company, Prana Endurance Training. And so that was our first real kind of go at starting to support ourselves in Mexico. Um, I started working on some online businesses and stuff, and I had all these great ideas and this online business stuff is tough, man. So I, I started an online program and it, it, what it met okay results, but it wasn't doing what I really wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was working on that. Frank was working on Prana Endurance and, and then we had this house. And so I think the first high season we were in Tulum, um, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, we don't really like the crowds of high season. And we got this house and we'd always said we could rent it out. So you want to go travel? You want to go to Paris? Like, where do you want to (laughs) go? Let's get out of here. And so we rented our place out for the high season and it went super, super well. And like we were booked up and at great prices and we had great guests and reviews, all the things, like everything was wonderful. And totally unwittingly, that sparked kind of what I would end up doing, you know, like I kept trying with this online business on the side that I was working on, but it was funny because you know, sometimes like you just have to get out of your own way. And so little by little, like we were renting our place out, it went well, great. And then we had another neighbor who was like, dude, you guys are doing really, you know, you guys are really, you take great care of your property And you do preventative maintenance and you do all the things that, you know, as an owner, you want to do and you're renting it out really well. Why don't you take care of my place? We're like, okay, you know, we're around. That's cool. And then another owner and then another neighbor and totally without trying, I ended up with a property management business. (laughs) That's so interesting. It's why it's really wild. I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that I would be running a property management business. Like that was not on my radar, (laughs) but you know, we, we talk about not to get like super woo woo, but like, if you just kind of know what you want to be doing or where you want to be headed in general, if you just kind of let it happen, like the universe is going to figure it out for you. And like opportunities will arise. Like you just, just do your shit, do it well, do your thing. And like things will flow, things will work. And so here I am on one side, like trying to just do what I know that I'm meant to do with this online thing. And 
And meanwhile, I have no website. I have no promotion. It's only referrals, like totally the side thing that I just am neglecting and not paying attention to. And next thing you look over and it's like, oh my gosh, I have a property management business. I, <laughs> I guess that's a thing now. So anyway, so now I have this property management business in Tulum and out of that has now grown um, a program I'm super excited about and it's called Rock Your Airbnb. And it's just a program that I've started now to help other people have that same kind of success and organic like growth and make it easy because it's not always easy. Um, Anyway, but so that's, yeah, that's how we went from no plan really to calling it quits in San Francisco and kind of what we're doing to make ends meet in a place that's more expensive than we expected. And yeah, all the things I just gave you so much, like I just kind of, no, rambled you're, you're, on that's but good that's our story <laughs> there's a few key points in the last portion of what you said that i want to kind of hone in on because your website you kind of highlight that you love talking about how you can run a property management company remotely and you encourage people to do it without a website is that kind of what i understood yeah you know tell so, me about that what does that mean i know and how call do you me do crazy <laughs> so i it's far okay. So there's sort of two different elements to it, right? Most property managers are out there like hustling to find clients. So, and so by clients, that would be like property owners that they're going to then manage the property for. Then there's the other element, the other side of, well, okay, well, then are you going to rent it out and you've got to find guests? But I, the piece that I think like where it can get, and I wish, I'm, I love that this is a podcast and I'm sitting on the couch in a hoodie and you can't see me, but I talk with my hands. And so I'm like doing all of these gestures and you guys have no idea what I'm doing. But, um, so the piece that is like finding property owners to then work for as a property manager, I have found that there's this like kind of magic in just simply doing what you do really well to the point that others will take notice. And if you're just out there as a part of your community, you're involved and you're doing a good job at what you do, people are going to take notice. And so that's where I think it's really cool that my property management company doesn't have a website. And in fact, we don't just take any client. We, we only work with our ideal clients. And so it's almost like people get together with us to talk about managing their place and they don't realize that we're interviewing them more than they're interviewing us, uh, which is, which is a kind of a cool spot to be. But yeah, I just have found that if you just do what you can do, people are going to notice you you know, you're, there's certain things you need to do to put yourself out there, but you can do it without oh my gosh, I have to have a website and I have to have a marketing team and I have to go find leads. If you treat your neighbors like real people and you have real conversations with them and you genuinely want to help them and take care of them, like it will all just, a lot of it, I don't want to say it will all, but a lot of it will just fall into place in a really cool, unexpected way. So that is like how... 
I, that's my goal for people when they're like getting into product management thing. It's not to immediately like build out a website and try to find leads and go pitch yourself. It's just about doing what you do well and then going from there. I totally agree. It sounds like though with what you just said that there is a portion of this process in which the person has to be in the location of where the properties are that they're going to manage to kind of build those relationships. And then you can take it remotely. Like it sounds like it would be hard to build a business like this remotely uh, in a location that you're not in. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? I I think it's going to be so much easier for you if, if you can put in, it doesn't even have to be a lot of time quite frankly, but if you have some time to put in kind of like, you know, quote unquote boots on the ground to invest that time up front, that will pay huge dividends later on for you to then be able to run it remotely because then you have set up, you know, kind of your standards, you've set your protocols, you've set expectations of who you are and what you're doing and it's just, it's so much easier. It, it, you could even just, if you hustle, do this over the course of, you know, six months. It doesn't have to be six years of building something on the ground and then being able to leave. But giving it a little bit of time, it will just make it easier on you. And I think that's a good, you know, when Frank and I left San Francisco, we just jumped. And that's great. But in hindsight, I'm like, I just can't believe that we did that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with prepping yourself maybe a little bit more than we did <laughs> before you make and you know, any sort of these leaps either into, you know, if you want to be a digital nomad, location independent, like move to another country, however you want to phrase what you want to do. I think starting to get your ducks in a row ahead of time makes that transition just a lot easier. Just makes it easier. And it's hard. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's hard. When you go from, when you make such a huge change, there's like little weird things that are harder than you expect them to be. And you know, it's just, it's a bumpy ride to get into your groove in another location, in another country. And so it just, it just makes it easier, you know? I'm all about making stuff easy. (laughs) I agree, dude. Yeah, keep it simple, right? Um, Right. Did you were you able to buy your house outright, or do you have a mortgage? We leveraged property that we owned outright in the states as a way to buy in Mexico because that that's a thing in Mexico. They don't do loans for foreigners, and so you really pretty much have got to you've got to come to the table with cash. So. We got a little creative on how to make it happen, but yeah, that's what we did. And then, so when you are renting it out, obviously all your bills and expenses are covered through the the rentals. Yep. Yep. We, well, I would say I'm really bad at keeping great numbers and all of this stuff, but I would say our annual bills are covered through our property alone through high season, like high season kind of pays for the place. And then anything beyond that would be gravy Got more it. or less. And you manage well, like up to like yeah. 10 properties. So it, like the nine properties are gravy. It sounds like. Yeah, they are. We, so 
I think you were asking a little bit about like, we talk about how we run this normally very location centric business remotely. And part of what we do is we just leverage connections and we leverage, we've got a team, you know, we, we essentially, if you think of it, of it at a high level, like, I mean, we, we outsourced a lot of our like on the ground stuff. I'm still super involved in strategy and guest communication and owner communication. So I'm still doing a lot of stuff from like, let's call it the road or whatever, from wherever, but we, we have a team in place. And so with that comes, I've got to pay a team, you know, but I pay that price to have them on the ground taking care of it so that I can then go and kind of be wherever I want to be. So are, it's worth are it. These professional services that you have created relationships with, or are these just individual peoples that you've met in Tulum that you've hired to be that team on the ground? So because of kind of the just the way Tulum is, and I think large, I don't want to say all of Mexico, but I think it's kind of a more of a commonplace thing in Mexico. Um we we just found individuals because those, the companies don't exist or the companies that do exist. We just didn't like their quality, just things like that. And we, the situation we were in, we happened to find or know, you know, some of them were actually our friends that were already doing this on their own. And I was like, Hey, you want to do it for me too? And we were able to work out a deal. So I would say if I were doing this in other parts of the world, I would probably try to contract it out through a company or a service provider. But where we are with our places, that wasn't, that option just didn't feel good to me. Another kind of funky thing about us is because we are really picky about who we work with and because we care so much about our properties, we end up forming really, really tight relationships with our clients. And so our clients end up becoming some of our dearest friends. So we're so, so, so it's really is like we treat their places as though they were our own because we, you know, we, you know, we have that responsibility of like, not only is this my client's house, but this is like my best friend's house. Like I got to take care of this place. So I just didn't find anyone that I trusted that kind of responsibility with through a company. So mm. It's so for us, that's what works. It's interesting because this model is, you know, something I encounter a lot on the road, just through the networks of people that I've met, you know, in Thailand. Yeah. Who, you know, they'll go into say Chiang Mai with no knowledge of, you know, renting places, and then within, you know, mm -hmm. six months, they have a network of little yep. apartments that they rent. They hold the lease to that they basically yep. do the same model, and then they can kind of travel around and use that arbitrage too basically fund their life and it's really interesting mm -hmm. model, but i hear what you're saying and i think they all would agree with you that it's important that you put your feet on the ground you get familiar with the culture and kind of you know the area and who's renting what and what season's high and what season's low and build those solid relationships that you just spoke about and make yourself yeah. you know, a, a trusted brand if you will within that community that people are going to get paid on time and you are a person of your word that then allows you to become more of a remote operator of this type of business model, because you do have to kind of, I think, put the legwork in up front. Mm -hmm. You do. I mean, it, it's not a, 
I mean, it's kind of a labor intensive business model. It's not like a set it and forget it type of business. And so, yeah, you do, you do have to put a little bit of like work in up front, but, and you, and you got to make sure you're doing it right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you want to take care of your clients and you want to do it right. And so that's, that stuff just takes time and it's nuancy. So rock your Airbnb does what for your customers that, you know, you're trying to attract now after you, the five years of knowledge that you've gained, like rock your Airbnb is doing what? Oh my gosh. So rock your Airbnb is essentially like a group coaching program that we run where we gather up, you know, anybody that's either is about to be starting up their Airbnb, or we have people that have their Airbnbs up and running already. Um, but they just want to do it better. And by better, I mean, they're looking for more efficiencies within their system for running their Airbnbs. They want, you know, more bookings, higher rent dollars, you know, all the things like more money, less work, easier go at running your Airbnb. And so it's a group program I put together where over the course of six weeks, we start with like, here are the basics of running your Airbnb. Like step one, you have to start thinking of it as a business. Even if it is just your home and it's just a side thing and like, it's just for fun, you're going to give it a go. Running an Airbnb is running a small business. And so like, let's think about it from that lens. Let's go forward. Like, let's think about target markets. Let's think about how we're going to write your listing in a way that's going to attract those people. And so we start with square one and then we go all the way through of, you know, how to, you know, write your listing, how to do your photos, how to greet guests, how to automate the process wherever you can, like just the whole, we run the whole gamut of like how essentially just how to kick ass running your Airbnb. So so this is six weeks though of, you said group like classes. How, how does that work? Yeah. So we, we were actually about to switch up the formatting a little bit up until now. It's been like, we do a coaching or a teaching call once a week. And then there's group, you know, we've had a Facebook group where people can like ask questions and all this stuff, everybody can chime in and there's homework so that everybody can get my feedback and help with stuff. And we're switching it up this next round. And so there's going to be a pre-recorded like teaching lesson released every week for everybody to go through and like learn the stuff they need to learn. And then a few days later, we're going to have a live coaching call. So where we can answer people's questions, we can go through where they may be getting caught up in something and get through like specific details coming up for people as they go through. And then next week they'll have a, a lesson and then we'll all get together and hash it out and talk through any questions, any issues that are coming up for them. And we go through that for six weeks and we just crank it out. And yeah, it's a, it's crazy how you can make little changes. Like I was going back and forth with one of our students uh, a couple weeks ago and she reached out to me. She's like, Hey, you know, I'm trying, I think we were changing her just like the title of her listing, like nothing major while well, it is major, but just something small. And so we were going back and forth. We kind of settled on, okay, this is what I think you want to do it as because this is how it's going to look to guests and all the things. And she wrote me back like 
15 minutes later and she was like, holy shit, you are not going to believe this. Someone just booked my place for a month for $5,000. Like literally I made that tweak and I made $5,000 10 minutes later. And I was like, stuff works. Like it's crazy. But so we just get really, really granular on everything and, and people just start having cool little successes. And so, yeah, I like, I get so excited about, it's so fun for me. And I love, I'm a super animated person if you can't tell. And so like when my students have successes, I just like it, I just light up and I, you should see the ridiculous happy dances I'm doing like across the house. And I just, it's cool. It's freaking cool to see. Where are most of your students coming from? Are they international or from the States or Mexico? Where? You know, we have a pretty good mix, partly because of my kind of world and my connections. I have a decent amount of students here in Mexico. And then we've got like, I'm just trying to think a couple from California, a couple in Canada. Oh, where else? Like just kind of a little bit from everywhere. I don't think I've had anybody from Asia yet, but maybe that'll change on the next round. So, and are most of these people yeah, home owners or are they kind of like trying to do that whole Airbnb model where they go into a place and lease a bunch or rent a bunch of places for themselves and then start doing the Airbnbs? So far, just about everybody, I think just about everybody has, have been actual homeowners themselves. The, okay. the model works regardless of how you're doing it. You know, like there's just, if you're renting, then you have different, you know, little details and legalities and stuff that you've got to worry about on that end. But as far as, I mean, hosting and marketing and promoting your place and all those things, I mean, are basically the same, whether you're an owner or if you're renting, sub, you know, subletting your stuff out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. No, it's cool. It's right? Like I said, I have a hat and feel full of friends who are doing this. And one guy's got like one in France. He's got a couple in Nicaragua. So he's sharing time between both. It's like he really analyzes the markets and knows where he's going to make real money rather than just guessing. Yeah. I mean, and then I have okay. friends in Chiang Mai who are doing it. And like some of them are crushing it. And some of them are just like, how are all these people crushing it around me? Because I can't make any mm-hmm. money because the competition's so high. Yeah. So it's, I think to peel back another layer, like kind of understanding your market and really putting your feet on the ground and like seeing what's going on real news rather than just like, I love this place. Like I'm going to apply this model here and then not realizing how difficult it really is. Yes. A huge piece. Like before we even really start in the program, we send out pre-work that is just that it's like, okay, cool. You're going to do this Airbnb thing. That's awesome. Like what, Re- true research have you done to make sure this is a good idea? And then I have a bunch of homework I have for how people can really get down to the nitty gritty of like, how much money can you really expect to make out of this place? And we're not going to use some little app that someone's saying that they forecast your area and they aggregate a bunch of super random bullshit data. Like you are actually going to do some homework. It's going to take some time. It's going to be labor intensive for you to track some of this stuff and figure out what your potential really is, but you're going to do it because otherwise you're going through all of this for nothing. Like you, you got to know what you're, what you're going for. Cause yeah, people, it's amazing. People will, you know, jump in head first and not have 
done any research and that's just, I hate when I hate to see it, but, but then there's people that do the research and are careful and they're thoughtful and they, you know, and they get help from people like me and, and they kick ass at it. So yeah, you just got to do it right. So this was your second incarnation of an online business. This it was, okay. So it the first was. One failed. This one is working. And then your husband, he kind of went out of the gates with a successful yeah, he, business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he freaking rocked it right away, of course. So <laughs> Lucky son of a gun, dude. So uh, right? is, his, is his model all course-based? Like, is he just selling courses his... on how to train for triathlon? No. So he actually, it's really, I would say it's service-based. He, he, it's so bizarre how he works with people, but it's so cool. So an athlete that is interested in running, like, let's say a marathon, half marathon, 10 K, like it could be any distance, like pick a distance. If someone wants to train for a race and either they want to get faster or maybe they've never run that distance. And so they're, you know, nervous about doing it on their own. They wish you want some help or they keep getting injured and they need help. All the things they come to him and they're like, Hey, I want to run the Boston marathon. And he's like, cool. Tell me, you know, what the, you know, what's your running history? What's your PR? What's, you know, what are your challenges? What's your scheduling like? What's your home world like? You know, do you have kids where you need to be home at certain hours or like, what's your jam? And he builds out custom training plans for them. So he'll be like, okay, based off of your, and then I'm, now this is the part where I'm going to get the details wrong, but I think he does a lot of it based on heart rate. There's some other metrics that he can use, but most people know and understand heart rate. So he'll build a plan where like Monday, go run a total of five miles for your first two miles, warm up at XYZ pace or XYZ heart rate, and then do intervals of four by four hundreds with XYZ rest, whatever. And he goes in and he builds like pretty detailed, you know, training plans for him day by day. And then they go do the workout and they upload the information from their Garmin watch or whatever training watch they have into this program. And he can see all of their data and it's all database. And so he's like, Ooh, you did not sleep well last night. And because of it, you were running slower on this pace or that it's crazy how he can tell all the stuff that goes into it. So anyway, it is not a course model. It's more of just literal, like one-on-one -on -one coaching services. Um, yeah. And that's what he, that's what he's doing. And he, yeah, he knocked it out of the park right away. And I had to, you know, I had to work a little harder to figure out where my groove was, but I got it. Good for Found you. My groove. Yeah. See folks. I mean, yeah. listen to this story. Like it's so incredible. And you, you're calling me from Baja right now. You're not even in Tulum. Like you're I know. nomading around <laughs> right now. That's awesome. True. We, yeah, we're on the other side of the country, but everything's good in Tulum. Everything, all the condos are looking good, and yeah, we're out here. So it's cool. But I mean, it's it's interesting, and that's part of where I think I thought it was just so cool to find you and find your podcast because I think sometimes people in this whole like online world, the digital nomad, the expat, the location independent, like all of those worlds, everyone can try so hard to just paint this really rosy picture of, you know, I don't know, I, 
I, you know, became a life coach and I make a million dollars a year and here's how you can do it too. And you can do it from anywhere or here's, and there's just so much of that kind of noise out there. And it's not always easy. It's not always, you know, sunshine and roses and simple and life coaching from the beach. There's like grit to it and real stories and real people and there's challenges and then successes and we all sort of have our own journey. And I love that you really get to the heart of people's journeys. I don't know. So anyway, that's my little like geek out fan girl <laughs> moment no, of like it. what you're doing. I just feel like it's a cool mix of inspiring and, and real and, you know, it's, it's cool because yeah, it's true. It's, I, I went through, you know, a few iterations to kind of get to where I am now. And what's funny is what was going so well the entire time was the piece I was trying to like not pay attention, like kind of push away. Like, I don't want to property manage. I don't want to property manage. And then I looked over, I'm like, you're a moron. What are you doing? <laughs> this is working. Like, let it be easy. Let it work. So anyway. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's just such a pleasure to talk to you. And before I let you go, I do have two more questions. One comes okay. from your blog which is an article you wrote, and I didn't read it. I just saw the headlines really quick, but I wanted to have you articulate the answer for me and the audience because it's it's about what do you do when you when a guest asks for a discount? <laughs> and I am one of those people who is always like, in, say, Vietnam, I'm going to stay like my bus doesn't leave till 9 p.m. I would be so stoked if I could just stay in the room until 5. It's 10 bucks a night. Can I pay you half? You know, I'll pay you cash at half. Like I can see on the calendar. There's no one else coming here. So I feel like I'm not putting you out. Like, is that like, why is that so difficult? Like, I don't understand. Right? Tell me. I know. So that's funny because that is one of those nuances of like the mentality or the thought process that goes into this type of a thing as a guest and then the mentality as a host. So what's super funny is you're totally right. Like the calendar's open. It's not a big deal. You know, it's another 10 bucks a night, throw me five and we all move on and we're happy, right? Like it's no big deal. But us as hosts, and I don't know if it's like our control freak or our ego, I think it's our egos. We immediately, anytime we get a discount request or we get something like that, you know, that throws us off of our groove or makes us feel like, we're being undervalued, you know, our pristine, beautiful condo, like, come on, you're already getting a steal at $10 a night. Like, how dare you insult me with your $5? You know, we get there's just this like, ego response that immediately we like tense up and we're like, Oh, no, you jerk. How dare you ask? And it's really, really stupid. But it happens to all of us. And then the, the guest is just like, Hey, like, you know, guys got to ask. I mean, it's good for me. It's good for you. So my biggest thing with this is always like to, and this is, I mean, almost just like my secret to Airbnb is to really, as a host, try to look at it through your guests perspective. Like they're not trying to insult you. They're not trying to say that your place is worth less money. They're not like, they're just trying to get a good deal and you would do the same thing. So my big thing is like, find a way to create a mutual win out of it. And at the end of the day, more than anything, your guest wants to feel like they won, right? So 
I always immediately write back because that's a big thing is like responding super quickly. And so I write back and I'm like, Hey, look that, you know, I, and I'll go into whatever, like oftentimes it's last minute stuff. So sometimes I'll be like, Oh crap. You know, like I already just took that rate down. I can't, you know, I can't go much lower. Let me see what I can do. Give me a sec. And then I disappear. Like I literally, I send that message. I don't give them any actual answer. I just say, hang on, I'm working on it. Guest then feels like, okay, I've been heard. I'm appreciated. They're checking on it for me. I'll sit here and wait for a second. And they wait and cool. And then I'll usually go back and I'll offer them some sort of a discount. But unless they give me a target, it's a very small discount. So if someone specifically says like, hey, you know, I want to pay you a thousand bucks for a week, then I have somewhere to target and we can have conversations or whatever. But if someone just says like, hey, can you give it to me for a deal? I'll usually go tell them I'm working on it. I'll work on it for a sec and I'll try to like cool down and chill out, you know, let my ego relax. And then I'll be like, yeah, you know, what does it hurt me to offer them 10%? Like 10% doesn't really you know, make or break it for me. And I get a booking. So I win and, and they get a discount. So they win. And so that's usually how I'll handle it. Quick response back. Ooh, I don't know if I can. Let me see. Ooh, this is really going to hurt me. You're going to really win. And then like, take a moment. And then I go back and I say, okay, you won. The best I can do is 10%. And then I'll say, you know, I think the place would be really wonderful for you. Like, I wish I could do more, but this is all I can do. And we would love to host you. I think you would love it for X, Y, Z reasons. You know, maybe I saw in your thing that you surf and, oh, you could go surf in X, Y, Z beach or whatever and try to make it personal. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's all about just as a host, chilling the F out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not taking everything so personally. Right. from the guest perspective and and trying to find a way so everybody wins so yeah that's that's my like secret (laughs) that's a great answer then the final question is you know if you can speak to one audience member who's intrigued inspired by your story wants to take that leap of faith you know and move to mexico or someplace new take that first trip what would you tell them oh my gosh i would just jump out of my chair and tell you how excited i am for you and If you have that little idea, like rolling around in the back of your brain that you, you know, you want to do something like this, like you want to cut the cord, you want to move somewhere new, do something exciting, try something new. Oh my gosh. I would just tell you, you gotta, you gotta do it. It's scary. Um, You gotta do it smart. Think through, you know, how to make it work for you. Think through your specific situation for sure. I don't want to tell people to do something crazy and reckless. But all I can say is I would have never, ever in my wildest dreams expected this life for myself 10 years ago, even seven years ago. And I cannot imagine a quote unquote normal life for myself now. Like I just... Even on the tough days, because there are tough days, you still just look around and you're like, I'm doing something cool. Like this is, I'm in a cool place. I'm around cool people. I am 
doing something that to most people is insane. And to most people, it's only going to be a dream. But for me, I had the guts to do it. And I, that's pretty freaking cool. So it's scary. I have chills. Like it's scary, but you can, you can absolutely do it. And then you'll look back and you'll be like, yeah, like, oh shit, I, I can't go back. Like what else, what am I going to do in the real world? <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you, love you, and we wish you all the best. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Right back at you. Awesome, Ashley. Thank you so much for joining me. What a cool story. What a cool lady. I'm so happy for you that you finally found your groove, that you are now able to travel, able to be that location independent digital nomad entrepreneur that you kind of set out to be. Congratulations. Anyone out there listening who's not making the kind of money they want to with their Airbnb should definitely check out Ashley at rockyourairbnb.com. And again, if you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button. If you haven't yet gotten a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop. Pick one up. I hope you all had a wonderful Easter. I'm looking forward to seeing you in next week's episode. I think you all are so very beautiful. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.